EMSradio.com. EMS information for the next generation. The EMS Garage is a production of EMSradio.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just search EMS Garage. You can find us on Twitter at EMS Garage. Email us, emsgarage at gmail.com. Or call us, 303-720-6001. The EMS Garage. Yeah, I got dead. Do you see the other father wanted to know if uh, you could handle that call as well? Just confirming you are checking the patient. Yeah, I'm making 22 stops, Dean. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the EMS Garage. Uh, it's your weekly podcast, I think. I'm your host, Chris Montera. Thanks for joining us last week when we pushed out a lot of episodes to you on Thanksgiving Day. I hope you enjoyed them. I'm your host, Chris Montero, the proverbial master of ceremonies here. I don't know why, but sometimes they just keep inviting me back, or at least trying to come on my podcast, which I'm pretty happy about. Uh, you know, we have several new podcasts coming out soon, and I'm pretty happy about that. We have the Medical Director Podcast. We've got the uh, I promise you the EMS Geek will come out someday soon when I'm not so tired. And there's others coming. Um, I'm buying a new camera for Christmas, so I'm kind of waiting for that. Because I keep shooting it in this other camera that I've got, and eh, it was whatever. So uh, not as not as pretty as I would like. So joining me tonight is the newcomer, the FNG, Matt Fultz. Hello, sir. Hey, get, how are you? You only get that title for one more podcast, so enjoy it. <laughs> Great. I can't wait to get rid of it. <laughs> how are you, man? Good. How are you doing tonight? Good. Hey, you uh, you escaped the wife to come on with us. That's uh, pretty That's pretty ballsy. I, I know. I, just, uh, I, I promised her some time, but she's she's busy doing some studying, so it, was, it worked out well. For, oh, perfect. For so you're just like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to go podcast. You just do your thing. Yeah, you know, I really want to go record the garage. Uh, I think I'll go and do that. Okay, yeah. Um, enjoy that later. Yeah, let us know how that works out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll report back. All right on. Well, thanks for joining us tonight. How was your Thanksgiving? Good, I hope. Thanksgiving was good. Had the had the in-laws in town, and uh, we, had, we had a good time. I, I, of course, had to work the day before and the day after, so the time spent at home was short, but... Uh, uh, Got some good quality time in. Got some ate some good food. So it was a good Thanksgiving. How about you? Ah, it was great. It was uh, it was lovely. Spent time with the fam, the extended family, which was really good. And Excellent. Ate, ate way way too much, which was good. You know, I didn't Twitter as much as I'd hoped. I was going to tweet more, and I didn't. So um, I, I'm kind of slacking. Oh well. But uh, looks like Mr. Kyle David Bates survived the trip to Maryland. Yeah, Maryland. Uh, how was it? So, anyways, the uh, the weather was good. Uh, and the, Three days uh, the little the one, the little one. Oh, the little one's great. He did oh, the awesome. In-laws. The, the in-laws are good though. That was... Oh yeah, they're fantastic. Uh huh. Wait, wait, hang on a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Just a minute. Just a minute. I had a very good time at my vacation with my in-laws. I enjoyed it very, very, very much. And you're not reading. I that. hope to go through again. <laughs> Gotcha. 
All right, man. Sweet. Love it. Uh, also joining us tonight, Mr. James Warmoth, the first Thanksgiving with the baby. How are you, sir? Doing good. How are you? I'm good. Did he do okay? Yeah, he did all right. I, you know, I hate to propagate stereotypes about people in South Texas, but my Thanksgiving involved guns of large calibers. Wow. All right. So, yeah, it was fun. There's nothing better than... Well, you know what I got to do um, during my Thanksgiving is I got to go through my... Well, my dad passed away about two years ago. So uh, I've just kind of... He, he left me all of his reloading stuff, and he has an amazing amount, amount of reloading stuff. I don't know who this person is that wants to add me. Pant Envy. Hmm. Cancel. Add him. Oh, well, it's too late. I already canceled. Um, so nope. you, you need to tell him to re-add me. <laughs> anyway, so Pant Envy, whoever you are, sorry you have Pant Envy. Um, so, oh, that's Dr. Antonivy. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Antonivy. I was trying to text you uh, It was pretty say. funny. That, okay, now I see it. Anyway, so uh, I got to go through all his reloading stuff, and he has this really sweet Dylan press that does like four bullets at once and everything. So I went through all that. and So I understand high-caliber weaponry during... Uh, Thanksgiving. It's a lot of fun. And I uh, really enjoyed it. And I went through his large gun collection and just had a, had a blast. So I, I hear you, brother. I know it. Uh, Mr. Brad Buck, how are you, sir? You survived Thanksgiving as well. Yes, I did survive Thanksgiving. I'm doing well tonight. Thank you. All right on, man. So I want to, I know Kyle's got to run off to work and James may run on a call. So, uh, oh, Peter, I don't know who Peter is, but he's calling me. So I will Yes. I'll answer him. Add in. him in. Oh shoot, I'm tr- I'm trying, Doctor Pant Envy. Peter and Heavy. Okay, got it. I don't see him online. <laughs> Tell him he has to add me again because I can't add him to the podcast unless he adds me. Anyway, so we're tonight we're going to talk about uh, we're going to have a few subjects tonight. Um, First one, near and dear to my heart. Well, not near and dear. I just think it's really funny. EMT certification of a EMS chief from Gloucester. I think it's Gloucester. Gloucester? Gloucester? Anyway, it's somewhere in New Jersey. Um, got suspended when he drove to a scene intoxicated in his work vehicle. No less. Um what do you guys think about that uh, guy uh, sitting at home having a couple and he decides to drive intoxicated to the scene when they think when he thinks he's really needed to in a barricaded subject issue and the police go, hmm, this guy smells like a lot of alcohol and allegedly he gets arrested or no, sir, he, he, was allegedly, right he was allegedly drinking and he got, sir, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you can say can and will be used against you in the court of law. Oh, by the way, here's a pair of scissors. Cut up your EMT card. Thanks. Have a nice day. Exactly. Next topic. Thanks for making us all look good, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and the other thing that I think was interesting was this isn't some little EMS, you know, siren, hacky, happy lackey. This is a chief. Yeah. He should know better. I completely agree with you there. Hello. Uh, hello, Doc. How are you? Hey there. How are you? Good. Um, I called you Doc. I called you Pant Envy. I'm like, who's Pant Envy, and why is he? Why does he want to add me? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're we're we were taping the podcast, and uh, Kyle's like, no, 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 add him, add him, add him. So, <laughs> so Doctor, uh, tell us who you are and where you're from. All right. So my name is Peter Antevi. I'm a pediatric ER doc down here in South Florida. 
Um, trained over at LA Children's Hospital, Pittsburgh Children's Hospital. Currently, I'm the EMS medical director for Davy Fire Rescue, associate medical director for Miramar Fire Rescue down here in Florida, and and the medical director of the largest paramedic school for the state of Florida. Wow. So you followed in the footsteps of one of my favorite people, Dr. Ron Stewart. He went to, he started out of LA and then went to Pittsburgh. And so, Really? Yeah. So back in the early days of EMS, uh, 1970 or so. Um, okay. Yeah. Awesome. So he was a, he was one of the, he is one of the godfathers of EMS. So anyway, welcome. Welcome to the garage. We're, we're talking about an EMT uh, chief that lost his EMT certification because he drove in He allegedly was intoxicated when he drove to a scene and was arrested. And the state quickly, the state of New Jersey quickly yanked his license saying that he was a, he's a potential threat to the citizens, the good citizens of the, is, is it a state? Is it a state of New Jersey or is it a commonwealth? I, I know I always get confused back when you get over there. Anyway, so. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, you guys were saying that you think it's bad because he's a chief. Um, do you think that that makes us any less dumb? I don't think it makes us any less dumb. I think, it, though, it should put a higher burden onto ourselves to be more professional. And since we respond to a lot of these crashes that involve alcohol ourselves and, and look down upon those who injured others by driving while intoxicated or under the influence, I think we got to, you know, point fingers back at ourselves and say, you know, we're not immune to this sort of problem. Right. Well, is it because, I mean, do you think that it was, have you ever had that time in your career where you were just like, oh man, I got to be at that call. Do you think that maybe that happened and maybe he was a younger chief or something? It doesn't give his age or anything like that, but maybe he just didn't really have an understanding of what he should be doing. Or do you think it doesn't really matter? Well, I mean, that that's very possible too, but at, at the same point, I mean, like I said, this guy is a chief. He is in a position of leadership. And, you know, if it, if I were a chief and any one of the people under me were to do that, they would be gone. True. You know, it, it's funny. I think this is actually a lot more common than you know we're aware of. I, I flew in one day, landed for a motor vehicle crash. We were waiting for the patient to be delivered to us over at the landing zone. And the fire crew that had set up the landing zone was looking at me going, they wouldn't let us over to the scene because we've been at a stag party all night. <laughs> like, fantastic. Oh. You know, this, this was my landing crew that put me into a landing zone, uh, you know, and they've been drinking. So I think it's a lot more common than you're aware of. In New York, a lot of the fire departments here still have bars in them and alcohol in the stations. Well, I remember not too long ago, San Francisco Fire had the rule that you could have two drinks during your shift and you would have your choice of wine or beer until, of course, several people. Um, I wish I had Justin on because I'm sure he has insight in this, but uh, San Francisco Fire would let you have two drinks. And apparently um, other people thought that, well, if you're not drinking, I'll just have one of yours. <laughs> and that became a problem, apparently. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, is it is it just indicative of our culture in EMA or in emergency services, or is it a? Do you think that it happens in other industries? But 
since they're not um, dealing with life and death, it probably doesn't matter. I can I can I can chime in and say that uh, when I was a resident, we had a physician come in. He was on call. He came in, clearly smelled like alcohol. And uh, you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, he's he's my boss." You know, I work for this guy. Uh, but listen, the way I look at it is that um, I'm, this is a very big pet peeve of mine that we have to act appropriately even when we're off duty. Um, and today we just had seven new recruits come to our department, and one of the first things I tell them is, when you're when you're on duty, you have to you have to act appropriately. When you're off duty, you act appropriately. No Facebooking about the the accident that you just saw yesterday. You can't go home and tell any of your friends what just happened. I mean, I'm, this is one thing that I really stand on, and I say, you know, we are given a big responsibility uh, because of what we do, and so we have to kind of um, you know uphold ourselves in the community uh, in the appropriate way. There's no, in my opinion, there's no excuse for this type of behavior at all. That just that's my that's my take on it. In, in the state of Texas, we have a, an EMS regulation that says you cannot engage in any activity that betrays the public's trust and confidence in EMS. And I would call this, you know, if, if this were in my state, this would be a blatant betrayal of trust. These, when people call 911, they expect someone who is, you know, 100% coherent on their game to show up and take care of them. And if someone shows up and they're inebriated to any degree, then they may not be able to deliver the best possible care. That's true. And we did talk uh, a while back on the garage at what, or maybe this was the NIMSMA topic we were talking about. I, I don't remember. It, it all kind of blends together after a while if I was either talking about it or writing about it. And it was the idea that at what point are you, quote unquote, sober enough after having been drinking to go to work and many people were like well you know it's it's eight hours since your last week drink or it's 12 hours since your last drink and i think i'm the one that says you shouldn't be intoxicated at all you shouldn't have any on your breath or you shouldn't even you shouldn't have any in your system when you're working um maybe that's a little over the top but i think that it's um i think it's the right thing to do I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, that's a big thing. I worked in, you know, services, even volunteer departments that you weren't allowed anywhere near the station within eight hours of consuming any alcohol. In flight medicine, it was, I want to say 12 hours from your last drink. And I'll tell you, it is. I think it's, it's, it's prevalent in every industry. It's just not either documented or recognized. Right. And well, but again, I think, does that, do we have a bigger problem in our industry where maybe, and I'm talking emergency services as a whole, police, fire, EMS, um, where we have an issue where people are drinking maybe too much or is it just a, a select few that make us stand out? Be an interesting study to do. There you go. There's one for the EMS research podcast. <laughs> Yeah, they can actually research it and do it. Research it. Yeah. I, I think that there's uh it stands out when it's when you when you see an article like this or uh if uh you know, actually in you know, one of our situations we encounter someone like this. We encounter this situation. 
that it really stands out for us. I don't think that we're necessarily as a as an industry that we drink too much, but at times I think we may on a percentage drink more than some other industries because of all the multitude of the scheduling, the shift work, um, some people, what they have to deal with, how they handle things, you know, that list goes on and on and on on how they're dealing with it. But I can't necessarily say whether or not it's worse than, um, you know, some someone that works in an industrial factory or a car salesman or, you know, that list can go on also, I would suppose. But I think, though, it it stands out when you see articles like this or situations like this of a, of a medic or, if, you know, a police officer being drunk or a firefighter being drunk, you know, something like that. It, 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 it just reflects much more poorly than factory worker shows up drunk for shift. I, I don't think that would ever be a news story. So I think that's where it shows we're, we're clearly held to a higher standard because of what we do, because of the job that we do. And we need to abide by that. And, you know, I think... Go ahead. No, go ahead, sir. Now, the the other thing I was going to say is that we're we're talking about alcohol here, but I think that another main main item, especially in the the kids coming up and and coming in now, are the stimulants Um, and, uh, you know, meth and so forth. You have soccer moms, for God's sakes, who who are taking meth just to keep themselves awake during the daytime. Um, We have a lot of guys in our department who drink the monster drinks, so I think it's it's our society is now becoming that of kind of dependence on these types of uh, of uh, either drugs or, or drinks and so forth. So it's, it's it's become a very pervasive problem. I agree. You know, we're always talking about what can we do to to push our industry forward to put more trust in our hands, but yet we can't even trust people to show up on a scene without being inebriated. And I think that that really holds us back from going forward as an industry and being trusted to do more things. Uh, no, I'm going to participate. Go ahead, Brad. I'm sorry. Jim, I, I completely agree with that. And it's between this article and something like this happening and uh, the the medics that are taking pictures of a, a teenage fatality at a car accident and sending them out to people to – uh, you know, I mean, the the list goes on of this, you know, and it's like, how how is it possible? Can we weed these people out of of our profession so we can actually make this into a professional profession? And every time it seems like we try to take steps forward, then you know, the big news article is is some I'll, I'll use the word some idiot does something just ridiculous, and it turns that light back on us and uh, you know and, you know and we're cast back into the dark ages again to try to start all over but i think this goes right back to our discussion we have all the time is that until we start to make ems a profession a career with education and advancement you're going to be having people come into this industry because they would rather do this because it's cool than the flip burgers even though they make a little bit may make a little bit more money flipping burgers, and that's not derogatory to people who are flipping burgers, but you have to look at it from that standpoint of view. And when we, as long as we're bringing people in on that concept, you're going to have these issues, right? But we Kyle, do. Go ahead, go ahead, Matt. 
I'm sorry. I was just going to say, Kyle, do you think that can that can be changed completely by by requiring more education to get the licensure, um, hopefully? Or do you think that this problem is always going to exist with with just the with the people that are already in EMS? Or do you think it, we can we can weed those people out eventually by by requiring more education? Well, when you start to require more education now, a lot of states have already gone the licensure. So the educational licensure isn't really they really aren't attached in a lot of, in a lot of ways. A lot of states are already licensure. Uh, and some of them, it's just semantics with how they call it. But as long as you're paying people at a low wage, as long as you, you have to think of the bottom line, especially from some of these large commercial services that are publicly traded on the, on New York stock exchange, they're going to look at the bottom line, which is their, their shareholders and not employees. And as long as you're paying low wages, for paramedics and EMTs, I don't think it's going to change. Okay. I agree with you completely. Well, maybe. And what I'm going to, what I'm going to point to is that I think that that's a pervasive problem, not just with privates, but it's a problem in our industry, um, state or nationwide. And I'm going to stay within the United States now. Uh, sorry for our UK and Australian and, uh, Canadian listeners, but we do have a problem in the United States. We have set the minimum as the maximum for our industry. And we talk about education a lot, and I, I'm going to not talk about education tonight, but I think that it's also a problem when we look at some of the two, two of the next articles that we're going to talk about, which is we have a problem here in Colorado, uh, which is not unlike many other rural systems in the United States where we have many ambulance services getting to that crossroads of we're doing too many calls to have volunteers. We have been paying for a while, but we have limited reimbursement. We either have to shut our doors or we have to go back to a volunteer system and, or you have the volunteer systems that just can't, can merely just can't exist. And then you have the state of, of Idaho who's trying to completely revamp the EMS system up there because they see it as a problem. And they're being proactive with it. So I think we need to look at those as well and say, okay, we need to be, we need to step up as EMS and say we're a part of healthcare. And if we're in healthcare, then we need to step up and say it's time that we have standards. It's and not saying we don't, but it's time we have educational standards, not training standards. We have to have educational standards that meet an associate's or a bachelor's degree. And then when those, when those well-educated kind of mid-level providers, I'm not going to put us on par with a nurse practitioner or PA, but when they're in your community, utilize them to their fullest extent. And of course, then that leads into community paramedic and a bunch of other issues. But I think that we have to look at it from that aspect that, you know, obviously we're diverging from the, you know, guy drinking, going to the thing, but um, perhaps if he were better educated um it would have not cotton or it would have cotton Ooh, man what kind of language what what kind of english do you have that uh perhaps it wouldn't have received the uh the press that it did but i but i have to agree that i think that and it's not the chris podcast here so i got to shut up here in a minute but the the other thing that i think we have to look at is that we are under more scrutiny we do have people 
the press looks at us more and it becomes more sensational when it's a cop, a firefighter, a physician, a paramedic doing something wrong. I mean, it's way more sensational um, than just the factory worker that came in drunk. Nobody's going to hear about that story unless he killed like 20 people because he, you know, the press went awry or something like that. Yeah, well, like no one will, no one's gonna ever hear of a a crane operator showing up for work drunk until said crane operator causes mass destruction and takes down a building or something, and then you know then it's a big news story, right? But if you look at a lot of those issues and, and, and take a step back, a lot of times the only time you'll hear about this is if it makes mention. Otherwise, it falls under, in a lot of aspects, EAP. It, it falls under the, the sense of a disease that these folks need to get some help for. And you may not be aware of as many people in your service that have had some problems with substances, whether it be alcohol or drugs, because of the need to handle this very cautiously for privacy and confidentiality reasons. Okay, I think we've beat that to death. Um, quick, quick program note: we don't have a winner this week for our Boingo and Audible dot com giveaway because you didn't email. That's really sad. So, if you want a chance to win our giveaway, it's not a contest; it's a giveaway. You have to email or call our phone line three zero three seven two zero six zero zero one, and you will be thrown into the hat of people that I pull randomly from to get an hour of free Boingo access and two absolutely free Audible books that uh, we give to you. You don't even have to put your credit card information in. So if you would like that, send us an email, emsgarage at gmail.com or call us 303-720-6001. And for the month of December, the person that gets us the most followers on Facebook. We're over a thousand now followers on for EMS Garage. Yes. Or likes or whatever. Uh, you can tell I really am into the social media thing. Um, sorry. Uh, so if you get us the most followers and if they like us, they have to mention your name and say, I like EMS Garage because, and put it on our wall. We will give you a brand new Maybe signed. I don't know if you want it signed, great. If not, I'll just send it to your post office box or house or whatever you'd like. A uh, copy of EMS Monopoly. Yes, it's the brand new Monopoly game from Gems, generously donated to us by gems.com. And this is the, we're actually recording this on the first. So this will go all the way till the new year. And then the very first podcast of January, which is normally our predictions and look back podcast for the next year we're going to give away ems monopoly i think retail value is like 30 bucks so it's a pretty good deal so if you want to be entered remember to go to facebook.com like our like ems garage and then tell your friends to like us but if they like us they have to mention you on the wall for ems garage so tell lots of people because i have a feeling that uh, we're gonna get a few people trying to win this free this ems monopoly game is cool it has a cardiac monitor and a sam splint as the little things you know i don't i'd probably i was always the thimble when i was on the monopoly so i'd probably be like the sam splint or something so 
Anyway, what I wanted to also talk about tonight was two articles that appeared this week. One was in the DenverPost.com talking about uh, Colorado Rural Ambulance Services in a State of Emergency. And we've known this in the state of Colorado for a while, but it's finally making the news just because we have ambulance services that are coming against a wall of reimbursement where they've been able to pay people for many years, but now it's getting expensive to pay people. But at the same time, their calls are increasing, but not to the point where they can hire a private service to come in because the private service would laugh. They'd be like, 3,000 calls? Yeah, it's not even worth our time. Uh, versus the state of Idaho, this this article came to us from emsworld.com, and they're looking to reform their EMS delivery system, talking about the state's disjointed patchwork of cities and counties and ambulance districts and fire departments and private firms and others that duplicate and they duplicate in some areas and they have large gaps of service in others. And I know we have what, what we'd call EMS no man land here in Colorado as well, or no woman land, whatever your politically correct thing would be. So uh, what are you guys' thoughts on this? I mean, do you guys see this where you're living and do you think that this is really a problem or is it more of a, oh, people are going to die now or something like that? I've seen it in several areas I've worked uh, between Maine and Pennsylvania and here in New York. And you're right. I mean, there are some areas that just don't have the call volume. and But you are seeing a decrease in the volunteers. But you're also looking at increase in education and maintaining skills of, of ALS. So one question is, is, should we eliminate the entire system and go paid? Or should we look at BLS first response and transport and dealing with ALS uh, quick response vehicles or, or fly cars, as you may say, on that? Well, how do you, I guess, I mean, those are great ideas, but the uh, the service featured in the Denver Post article has, they have a small local hospital in their town, but then they do a lot of inter-facility work, maybe to the tune of maybe three or 400 a year, uh, so one or two a day. And they're 85 or 90 miles from Denver, and they have to, I mean, they have to have a paramedic level for the most part, transporting those patients back and forth. So that becomes a logistical nightmare uh, for those services. That's right. I think the uh, in that situation, the hospital should look at doing their own air facility transfers. Do a hospital-based service. That's what I used to be, was a hospital-based service. But for 400 calls a year? Well, you can go ahead and employ them elsewhere in, in the hospital. Have them as CNAs or, or train them in, in the ER. So they're available, but they're still, for lack of better terms, making money. True. Okay. So yeah, there's you know, a lot of hospitals, the smaller rural ones here in Iowa, that uh, the medics are, when they're not out on a call or doing anything, they do a lot of the respiratory, they assist uh, respiratory. In essence, they're like a respiratory tech. Uh, where they'll take care of breathing treatments throughout the hospital and the ER and such. They get numerous extra duties so that they can uh, they can justify it. James, what about Texas? What are you guys doing? I mean, do you guys see a large problem? I mean, Texas is a big state. Do you guys have a lot of rural ambulance services that are getting ready to fold or have some problems? 
Well, you know, I think that is a major problem. Uh, one thing that I'll mention, and I'll uh, full disclosure, I have some bias toward it, but um, you know, I think the volunteer services are absolutely vital. And again, I'm, I'm a part of one, so I have a bias to it. But to give you an, an example uh, of, of what I'm talking about is my local town is there are four paid ambulances that cover the entire city for 911. And, you know, responding out to the edge of the county, it could be 30 to 40 minutes before an ambulance gets there. And But we have volunteer agencies that are spread out throughout the county, and it is so helpful to have someone who's 10 minutes away who can provide initial uh, BLS-level care until the MICU ambulance can arrive. You know, we certainly have some, some services. Uh, there's one just down the road from us that is hospital-based. Uh, but the majority of the services in the area are all um, – either municipality or uh, private services that, that handle the traffic. But th- there are there, – it's the same problem everywhere else where you have these areas where there's large gaps in which, you know, you might have a 30- or 40-minute response time just to get there and then an even longer trip to the hospital. So I, I think it is a problem, but I think the volunteers help out significantly with that when it comes to uh, providing first response care. Well, it sounds like at least you're lucky in your area where you have dedicated people that would be willing to do that. I know I worked in an, in a system that we had our uh, our response times, and it just was part of the deal. You just said, okay, well, sometimes people do bad things in really remote areas, and that's kind of, you know, they can't expect six-minute response times. However... 80% of the calls clustered around the populous center of where we were within eight minutes or less. So you have to look at the clustering and go, you know, there are just some people that shouldn't have the expectation of six minute ambulance service, but they should have an expectation of service. So I think, I think it should be a balancing act and we've kind of been, hmm, I guess for lack of a better term, maybe we're, we're the victim. We're the victims of our own success that we've told everybody for so many years. Eight minutes. You should have an ambulance at your house in eight minutes. And then you know they go to these really rural areas and start living and go, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe a response time of forty minutes is okay. Maybe it's better if I just throw the person in the car and drive. I don't know. I don't think you'll ever get rid of the the BLS first responder, and I think it's always going to be something that's needed you know, for that, just for those instances, you get somebody there at least early on. But when it comes to ALS, I think that's problems that you're going to start running into. And that's problems that we had uh, is people being able to maintain their skills. And, you know, really, is it worth it for me if I'm going to run two, three calls a year to maintain my, my paramedic certification at this time? So I know some places have gone like out in up in Maine where I was, I was the only paramedic for about 500 square miles. I, you know, I'd be driving 45 minutes to an hour just to meet up with an ambulance that had been on the road for 40 minutes. Uh, I know, and as a hospital-based system, and also a commercial system, I work two different areas of the state. In Pennsylvania, one of the counties, Lancaster County, they were one giant EMS system. So they took care of the entire county uh, as a third service. I know parts of Alaska. They are very big on the volunteers and, and, and their health aides up there. And they may wait an hour, two hours just to get a plane 
in based on the weather. So I don't know the answer. I don't know if it's going to be one blanket statement for the entire country because I don't think you can possibly do that. Well, it, go ahead. Go ahead, James. It, it creates a unique problem in, in that, you know, you want to have quick response times. You want you want to be able to, to get there and provide care, but you also, you know, you have to stay in the black to a degree. And I think that's what a lot of these municipalities and a lot of these private companies are, are really trying to do is, you know, what can we do, especially with the way that Medicare reimbursement has gone, with the way that uh, – with the way that government funding has gone for these kind of things, it's, you know, how do we maintain service and still stay in the black? And it's becoming more and more difficult, even especially in my area. You know, we're, we're just now beginning to see the economic effects of the things that have been going on, you know, that people have been experiencing for for months as far as, you know, as far as having trouble in the economy, it's just now trickling down to here, and we're you know the municipalities are cutting budgets however they can to try to you know keep services alive, and it's it's just difficult. And I think that that's what we're also seeing here in Colorado is, you know, because of our type of economy here, we're uh, we will be the last to feel the effects, and we'll be the last to come out of it because. Um, where where the industry starts to pick up around the nation, people then still need to come come to Colorado and ski. That's all I'm saying. Come to Colorado and ski. And in the summer, come and mountain bike. Come and um, crash your ATV. I mean, uh, ride your ATV. Um, come and enjoy our beautiful scenery because we love having tourists. Please come. So, but I but I think that that to a degree is what's going on in our industry, uh, and maybe we are one of the last industries to maybe feel the effects of this and it's going to be harder for us to pull out of it uh, maybe maybe um, the new health care reform will help with more payers but I know that that's something we've been challenged with here is we're our call volume is pretty steady but our but the number of people that can pay has dropped dramatically to the effect I mean to the effect of 20% of the people can't pay and that has a market um, problem with our bottom line. You know, do you, do you, go ahead, Jim. I was just going to make one little point. It's like, you know, people have to decide, do I keep my health insurance or do I try to, do I try to pay some other bills that I need to have? And, you know, we've seen, especially in our area, we've seen a lot of people that are, are dropping insurances that are going, uh, private pay, because they have to make that choice between do I pay my health insurance and keep it or do I do I pay other more important bills? Right, like food, water, shelter, all those things. I agree. I completely agree. Hey, Kyle, do you need to run here in a minute or are you got a couple more minutes? I do. I have to go protect the town of Tonawanda on an overnight shift here. Go Tonawanda. So hey. uh, give us your give us your thoughts on this and then tell us where people can find you. I think whoever solves it is going to be a very rich, famous person because it's a question that we need to answer. We need to work together. Uh, I mean, AAA is a great association, but unfortunately, that doesn't always involve some of the other agencies. So we need to find a common platform to come together, municipal and private and commercial, and start to work together on this because it is going to fall apart. The whole system is going to fall apart if we're not on top of it. So that's my two cents. 
All right. And where can people find the, the PDU and the FFM and the... DR, well, you can find me over at caldavidbeats.com. <laughs> Sorry, Image Medic on Twitter. You can find me over at firstfewmoments.com for that podcast. You can also find me over at PDU, P-E-D-I-U.com. We just laid down another great episode with Dr. Peter Antevi, who's joining us tonight, and uh, Dr. Lou Romig and Ted talking about pediatric drug dosing. So we should have that up here in the next couple days. Ted was on? Ted was on. Settler? He was on. Oh, yeah. man. I miss Setla. Hey, did you, um, are you guys on iTunes yet or how much, how much longer to you there? Oh, we, we've been on iTunes since the beginning. Oh, okay. We're just, just waiting for Stitcher for PDU. Oh, right on. Very cool. Nice job. Uh, all right. Appreciate it. Have Thanks, a good night, brother. folks. All right. We'll all see right. you soon. Bye. So, um, continuing on with the theme of how do we reform EMS or stay, stay ahead of this issue at least in rural areas i think that we're also seeing some of the some of the backlash in urban areas as well you know fire departments closing or or browning out stations or other emergency services kind of kind of going to a less than desirable response i know the city of colorado springs recently said unless it's a unless it's a crime that is either in progress or has um you know assault or something really bad like if it's a burglary they're going to call you on the phone within like 48 hours they're not even coming to your house anymore so the you know that's just kind of the sign of the times we're in so how do we how do we stay ahead of that game you know, chris it's funny you say that because uh my wife's sister and her husband's house was uh broken into and they were robbed uh about three weeks ago in colorado springs and uh the police department was very nice, but to get the full report, it was the next day when they actually called and got a report in that. Nice. See? So, yeah. But uh, one thing, back to you were talking about the health care reform, uh, the only issue is that may help and there may be more people that are paying, but we're, there's always that chance where they're going to be paying at the Medicare rate. Hey, you, you know, know what? I'll take a Medicare it, rate, then nothing. That, that, that is true, but that's... It will help some, but that's not going to solve the problem because the Medicare problem is what's led to a lot of this. I mean, that service in Colorado, I would guess at some point in time, they began to do those long-distance transfers for the hospital because it was profitable. Uh, in essence, it can be easy money um, you know, for what you're doing, and it pays – but over time, as the reimbursement rate has gotten lower and lower and lower, and I don't know how bad yours is in, in Colorado. Ours here in Iowa is pretty horrendous. But uh, now they're reaching this point where what they should be doing is saying no because, you know, there's uh, – and I don't, I don't know that much about the service. But if it's county money that's kind of going to that service and that, you know, they have to look at – are they are they making enough back by doing this ninety minute or two hour transfer or whatever it was you said and um, not having those crew members you know in the city or in that area or in the county providing the service to the residents and it's it's kind of a, a gray area and a you know a fine line that you have to send on 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 what you deem is appropriate for uh, for the uh, for the people that pay your bills for the most part. But well, I think uh, here here in Iowa, we're actually looking at – it hasn't passed yet, but the state is hoping if they can pass it uh, 
and hopefully in the upcoming year it will, that every county is going to have to provide, and they're not, it's, it's not in writing yet how, but the essence is every county will have to provide um, EMS at the advanced level in some fashion. Uh, because what they're finding is there's some counties that, I mean, basically in, in, in the county I live in right now, there is one ALS service that is always ALS. Um, they have a paramedic, at a minimum, they have a paramedic on every single truck, which they only have two to three trucks on at a time without doing callback. Everyone else in the entire county is volunteer. A lot of those, we do get paramedics, but... Uh, my service here, where I am, we don't transport, and we're at the basic level service. So when one of the other transport ambulances comes, the two that we mainly, uh, from the surrounding communities that come here, uh, if they show up, if they don't have a paramedic, um, I go with them, and I am able to function at the paramedic level. But, you know, it's that coin toss on whether a paramedic will will be coming on the call or not and you could have a chest pain or something of that nature and you don't know until they get there if they didn't communicate that to you uh, especially if i'm not there that there's not a paramedic and then they're now asking on the radio for another service to be responding to tier so they can get a paramedic on board during the transport and i think that's where i give idaho kudos that they are actually trying to look at all this and come up with a way to fix the problem before it continues to get worse. Well, and uh, I want to I want to talk to you a minute about letting it fail. But uh, Dr. An- Dr. Uh, Antevi, is that, am I saying it right? Yeah, Antevi, okay. yep. Uh, I know you have to go for an early morning shift. So just wanted to let you give A, your last two cents, and then B, tell us where people can find you or get a hold of you. Okay, well, thanks for having me on. I, uh... You bet. Just hearing uh, the issues that you guys are dealing with, I'm, I'm down here in South Florida, and so we don't have to deal with these uh, these types of issues. But uh, I think you're providing a great service. Um, you guys can find me at uh, my website, which is pediatricemergencystandards.com, and I also have a Facebook page, which is also Pediatric Emergency Standards, and my uh, Twitter account is uh, Handtevy, which is H A N D. T-E-V-Y, the system I created to help EMS providers um, dose uh, children appropriately, quickly, and correctly. So uh, have a great night, everybody, and again, thanks for having me on. Thanks, Doc. You're welcome back anytime, and uh, love to have the physicians on and get your perspective as well. So have a great night and have a great shift tomorrow. Okay, you too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Right on. So, Brad, what I was going to say, though, when, um, when you were finished is to say that, you know, I think... We as EMS providers sometimes go, you know, well, we'll, we'll handle that call. You know, we've, we, we'll do it even out of the goodness of our heart at the, at the expense of everything else. And I think it's time to kind of let it fail a little bit. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's time that we start saying, just like you said, no, I'm not going to take that transfer. I'm sorry. We have no resources to do that. We're not going to take it. And... But then again, does that then make us look bad in the community because we're not providing the resource? I don't know. It, 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 that door swings both ways. You know, the, the, uh, the, the service that uh, I had formerly worked for, um, 
they're running into the issue on a lot of I mean, we're primarily a um, inner facility transfer service and um, a critical care transport service um, when, and then we did some emergency calls within uh, with the care facilities in the metro area and such but uh, what we're running into is you know trying to put a, a halt on the 3 a.m three and a half hour transfer one way of a non-acute um, non-emergency patient and it's at times when we would say no we're going to hold this off until the start of shift the following morning at shift change and it makes us look bad because there's people then in the community that are uh, providing the 911 that just have the belief well you should be doing that that's what you're there to do and you know my response back would be like you know I'll take your calls and you can take this and we'll see how long you do it before you get tired of you know in a 24 hour shift that you're basically in service and running for 21 of those hours you know it's a it, it like you said chris it's eventually when you start to say no but eventually we we need to push and show that this is broke and it needs to be fixed and you don't want it to get to the point of someone uh, to prove your point where someone dies necessarily. But it seems like sometimes to wake people up or make them see the light, it has to be something drastic that occurs, unfortunately. Brad, we've actually done that in one of our one of the systems I work for, where they um, overnight they're, they're saying that only we're only going to take people in a, a radius of thirty miles of our base, and that that's it. And we'll we'll go ahead and put out a. Uh, a call to see if there's anybody that can take your transfer, but uh, otherwise, sorry, it's going to have to wait till shift change. We've, we've also seen too. I've seen in uh, in the system that the mutual aid, um, the mutual aid with other services, where uh, a service will call to to have us mutual aid with them, and it might be the only truck left in the, in that to cover a certain response area. And we've been having to say, no, sorry, we can't we can't provide this mutual aid to you. Because we're we're responsible for our own our own county right now, so you know it's it's a particular problem. With what we were talking, what was just said about about getting a call at you know two o'clock in the morning for a a non emergency transfer, and and we see that a lot too. And the pro- the problem is is that during the day, my service operates five trucks. At night, we drop down to two because our call volume is greatly decreased. And what it ultimately comes down to is, can I co- can I commit one of those trucks to take a two and a half hour trip for a psych patient who is not in any immediate distress, who is not going to be any different, you know, at eight o'clock in the morning, or do you know do we take that call or do we say, look, we're going to have to wait till eight o'clock in the morning when we have five trucks back up. Yeah, that that's it exactly, and it's. I'm guessing if you're changing like that, Jim, you're not doing 24-hour shifts, or are those two trucks that are on at night are those 24-hour? The two trucks on at night are the 24s, and then the other three are are they they have weird they have weird hours like one is 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. The other one's 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. So we have sure, staggered, staggered coming on. But yes, and, and and that's where as much as I love working 24-hour shifts because. You know, I work ten days a month. It's it's fantastic. You can't beat that. But in high call volume, 
it it becomes a, a an issue for safety, and it becomes an issue for. I'm not going to get off on that tangent, but 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 that's it exactly. Is then you know you having to say is this the best thing for us to be doing right now? When when who knows how many miles those those two trucks like you have, Jim, have already put on during the day doing transfers and such and. You know, it's like you need to look inside and figure out is there a fix to this or how do we how do we look at it. But at least like what Matt said, if you do a a call out, then at least you can get a couple of some fresh blood that comes in and they're perfectly willing to do it. And it's not that big of a deal for them, maybe. And then, you know, the, the other question that we have to ask ourselves, too, in that same situation is, OK, the night's been pretty busy. If we take this one psych patient or, you know, whatever the situation is, it's a non-emergency, they're going to be, you know, they're, it's not a problem. You know, if we take this call, is it worth taking this call and losing four emergency calls locally, you know, for taking the non-emergency out of town that could wait till morning? And, of course, it's a gamble. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge gamble. You know, and, and there's, there's, there's ways, and depending on how dispatch works and the, the people that are, that make those decisions... If you look at, if you're able to look at all the data and eventually you can come up with, well, you know, during these hours, our, our chances of getting an emergency call in is, uh, you know, might be this or, but uh, you, uh, it, it's, it is, it's just, a, it's a huge gamble to see whether or not it, uh, you know, it, it, it works out for you and what the best option is, what's best for for you, best for the service and best for uh, the patient and the customers. Without going off on a tangent on this, I, I think as much of this this starts in the in the emergency room or in the facility originating the the trip as much as anything, and um, I, I just think that it, it it starts there when it's hard for an ambulance service or an EMS entity to turn down a trip, and they're just refusing that revenue is basically what it comes down to. So it's it's hard for them to say. No, we're not going to take this trip. But I think I think it needs to that needs to start at the originating facility and say, you know what, it's it's four, you know, five o'clock in the morning. Let's we can this patient we can kind of sit on this patient for a little while, get a fresh crew in here. It's safer for the the crew and the patient. Yes. Well, yeah, and I was going to say that um, again. It's going to be incumbent upon us to start telling, I mean, the facilities have to know that we're, we can't be at their beck and call, especially like you guys said, when we've been running all day or it's really not imperative to get somebody down the road. I mean, please wait for the fresh crew that's coming on at 7 a.m. to handle that call because man, there are times when you're just so beat, you just can't take another one at 3 a.m. And I've been there. I've been at the service that transported an hour and 10 minutes to the nearest hospitals in Denver uh, from the local hospital or the local clinics, and you know they'd call you at three a.m. Sure, sure enough, and they would say, you know, this person has to go down, and it's like why? And you wheel them up to their room in the hospital, and they're like, oh, well, they're going to go for down for a test at three p.m. Well, you know, and, well, and I think the other part of it too, though, is, is we have a problem in healthcare where they've been sitting on that patient maybe for eight, 10 hours waiting for a bed. And as soon as that bed becomes available, it then becomes a very urgent quote unquote. And I'm using urgent in its most um, uh, liberal form to get that patient out of there because then they don't want to lose the bed. 
And I understand that and I get that, but I also have to say that they also have to, they have to understand that we have limited resources as well. So anyway, um, I, I wanted to talk about the Florida man that assaults a crew with his, with a bloody limb. And it sounds funnier than it, than it really was. But, uh, I was, I was expecting him to have taken like, like a bloody stump from somewhere and start swinging it at the crew, but uh, no. That's exactly what I thought when I saw the headline, but I had to post it up there because I imagined him like swinging his left arm with his right one and beating him down. Was it his own arm? (laughs) Yeah, it was a cut on his hand and he started flinging blood at the paramedics on the way to the hospital. So not as awesome as it could have been, but uh, definitely, um, again, I I had this picture of a guy that had found a bloody stump on the side of the road or an accident and started flinging it around. So anyway, um, that story you can find on gems.com. We'll, we'll post that on the show notes, but uh, um, I'm sure uh, Brad will be kind enough to send that on to Matt because he wanted it. There we go. I'll get it to him. Uh, Matt, where can people find you soon other than the new podcast? Matt, hello. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry oh, about that. There you are. My, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at MDFultzMedic or uh, on my blog at theimedic.blogspot.com. Um, encourage anybody to go over there and read and leave some comments. And also, uh, you can find me at a new project Mr. Buck and I have uh, in the works right now, and that will be more information to come very, very soon. Very cool. Thanks for joining us tonight, Matt, and uh, you're great to have on. So anytime you want to come on. Again, thank you very much for having me. It's always an honor to be on. Right on, man. Uh, Mr. James Warmoth, thanks for coming on. Where can people find you? You can find me at yellowrubberducky.squarespace.com. And you didn't get a call? No. I'm surprised, actually. Right oh, well, it'll come at 2 o'clock in the morning. Of course. Yeah, you've got, you've got a couple more hours there. <laughs> yeah. About the uh, time I decide to lay down and close my eyes, oh, the phone will ring. That's always it good. never fails. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, thanks for joining us tonight, Mr. at the, at the uh, expense of your sleep. Mr. Brad Buck, where can people find you? Uh, my f- I'm on Facebook. Search for my name uh, at cfmedic33 on Twitter and life up close and personal.blogspot.com. I always have to read that, and that's my own blog. And it's and your like, own um, fault for having a long URL, man. Yes, I know. I already, I already teased um, you last time when you were on. Uh, I heard it. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and uh, as Matt said, uh, soon, very soon, there'll be the official announcement on uh, a new project that we're working on for a new podcast. So, uh, yeah, you know, we'll have uh, we'll make an announcement with the name. You know, there's going to be a marching band and fireworks and everything. Aww, so. I want a marching band and fireworks. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you guys very much. I'm excited to have that new show on the EMS Radio Network, and we'll have our voiceover person do some cool voiceovers for you. We need to find you some music. Do you have theme music yet or no? No. I I have a few things, a few ideas, and a couple okay. of musicians I was going to talk to to see if we could use a, a, a clip of one of their songs. I don't know, Matt. Do you have any ideas yet? I, I didn't. That was on high on my list of things to get to this week. I, that's one thing that we haven't really talked about. So hopefully yeah. we can get the voiceover person to do some of that cool voiceover work like on the garage here. So. Mivio.com. 
And uh, you can go to the EMS Garage homepage, find all the free royalty music, free and royalty free music you want there. All you have to do is uh, give the artist credit. Um, We use that for most of our podcasts now, and they're great. So uh, sweet, yeah. Um, And you and you can find any genre. Trust me, they've got ska music. I think they've got ska, punk, rock, goth genre i mean it's crazy all the all the music they've got all right that's what we're gonna use do you remember adams or do you know uh do you remember it's not adam sandler it's uh he was a he was a rock vj for yeah mtv in the i do uh do you know who i'm Uh, talking about yes but i'm trying to big hair blonde guy Mm -hmm. anyway he is the guy that owns that page and is really trying to get producers of of shows and producers together with up-and-coming artists and and so it's really cool the way you can um, really cross-promote there. So we'd like to thank Mivio for, for supplying us with tons of music. We also have a free podcast theme on our show. And uh, the gentleman that did that has done a ton of podcast themes. If you have a, if you have a spare 600 bucks in your pocket, he's a, he's a great guy. So um, don't forget, audible.com and boingo.com. You can get two free books and an hour free Boingo. If you just email us or call us, uh, you'll be entered into the big hat on my desk um, with my writing on it, and we'll throw your name in the hat and pull it out. Also, don't forget that we're giving away EMS Monopoly at the end of the month, and it will be... It's an ongoing contest to see how many people, how many of your friends you can get to like the EMS Garage. So if you like our show and you're on Facebook, tell all of your friends to like it and then to give you credit. And the person with the most wins EMS Monopoly, signed or not, up to you. Um, Really don't know why you'd want my signature, but uh, if you do, I will autograph it for you. Uh, Thanks for listening. Thanks for um, putting up with us tonight. It was kind of a fun podcast. Had people coming and going, and that's why I enjoy it. My name is Chris Monterra, Geeky Medic on all the websites. Please join us next time when we talk more about issues that concern you in EMS. Have a great day. Night, weekend, whatever you're doing. You know me.